0: Go rebuild my church, which, as you can see, is falling into ruins." These are the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi from an image of Christ on the crucifix at San Damiano in 1205 A.D. These same words inspired Peter Doan, the host of the program you're about to hear. Peter challenges all of us to rebuild, not the brick and mortars of our church buildings, but our personal faith and relationships that will rebuild and strengthen the church. Now here's today's program.
1: Hello, I'm Peter Doan.
2: And I'm Leslie Doan.
1: And you're listening to the radio broadcast, Go Rebuild My Church. Each week in this broadcast, we will explore ways to put into practice the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi by our Lord Jesus, and how this theme is relevant as we seek to bring renewal to the church today.
2: Our passion for renewal was ignited when we came home to the Catholic Church 12 years ago, and that's when we heard the call to rebuild and joined efforts with many other renewal movements within the church.
1: You can learn more about our journey home and our lay apostolate dedicated to the renewal of the Catholic Church by visiting our website at www.catholicdiscipleshipministry.org.
2: Our prayer it's through the ministry of this radio program and our lay apostolate we can provide pathways for you as individuals as well as your parishes to join the rebuilding process and experience renewal. Now, if you are a new listener and you're joining us for the first time, we're in the middle of a series that we believe is critical to the rebuilding and the renewal of the American Catholic Church.
1: Our series is the call to return to biblical Christianity. We've been on an exciting journey into the Acts of the Apostles where we're discovering the characteristics that made these early Christians such a powerful force. Pulling together the Scripture, excerpts from the Catechism, and the teaching of the Church, we are being challenged on how we, too, can start to live as the early Christians did.
2: And in our last program, we discovered in Chapter 9 one of the most powerful events in all of the Acts of the Apostles, and that's the conversion of the Saul Saul of Tarsus. We discussed how St. Paul has become the most thoroughly converted man in all of Church history. His conversion is spoken of not once, not twice, but three times in Sacred Scripture. And St. Paul has now become for us a model. And we're going to be talking about what true conversion looks like in, in this first segment. Absolutely,
1: Leslie. Uh, we pointed out when Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Something must have shot through Paul's core being because all of a sudden he realized that persecuting God's people was persecuting Jesus himself. A lot of Bible commentators think this is where eventually those seeds caused Paul to define the Church as the body of Christ and spoke of it as the only one that spoke of it in sacred Scripture.
2: That was a new insight for me, Peter, and it was really exciting to really uh, share that with our listeners. And we also shared five key elements regarding Saul's conversion, and these have become a model for us personally, haven't they, Peter? Yeah,
1: exactly. And
2: wherever we are on our journey, we can learn something from these five key elements. First of all, Paul fell before the Lord. Falling before the Lord is one of those key elements. Encountering Jesus in your conversion. Seeking out the church. Growing in your knowledge of the Lord and becoming a disciple and then going forth and telling the good news.
1: It goes without saying, Leslie, that we are all in need of conversion and ongoing conversion. St. Paul is a worthy model, isn't he? Let's take a moment to review these vital aspects of conversion seen in St.
2: Paul. Thanks for allowing me to do this, Peter. So I'm going to walk us through these very quickly as a review. And that first element was falling down before the Lord. Last week we learned that when the light from heaven shone around them, Paul fell to the ground. And this is a conversion lesson for all of us, because no conversion can take place without falling before the God and being humble before him. The second element is that encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, we learned last week that Jesus doesn't appear to everyone in a flash of heavenly light. Right. And most, oftenly, most often we encounter Jesus when we're confronted with our own weakness and or our littleness. And that's when we can hear Jesus knocking at the door of our heart. in those moments when we come to the end of ourselves. Isn't that right, Peter? Yeah, that's right. The third element is to seek out the church for reconciliation with Christ. And this is a part of true conversion. We learned that Ananias prayed for Paul to regain his sight, and then Ananias baptized him. St. Paul needed the body of Christ from the very beginning, just like we do. Mm -hmm. Jesus never intended us to come to faith on our own. He wanted us to be joined to the church. The fourth element was coming to know the Lord and engaging discipleship. Paul's baptism, we learned, it was just the start of his conversion. He spent three years in Arabia, where he came to know Jesus before going to Jerusalem to meet the apostles. And then the last element is just to go forth and tell the news. When you're truly converted, you need to start sharing the Christ, don't you?
1: Yeah, exactly, Leslie. Thanks for that. So, also, we find in the Catechism of the Catholic Church great insight to this whole Um, area of conversion, and let me just mention a couple of those um, links for us. First of all, in paragraph 1427 through 1429, we see that the Catechism says there's a first and second conversion. The first one uh, mentioned, Mark one fifteen, says repent and believe in the gospel. So that first conversion is for those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. By faith and baptism, that person first gains forgiveness of sin. But also, it says there's a second conversion, and that is an un- uninterrupted task of the church, and I like this phrase, who clasps sinners in her bosom. This conversion, Leslie, is beyond merely human endeavor and must come from a contrite heart which responds to God's mercy. And again, we often refer to this as the need for ongoing conversion. A great example the Catechism points out is St. Peter himself who wept when Jesus looked at him, remember, in Acts after Peter denied him three times. And then we go to John 21, Peter to Jesus three times tells Jesus yes indeed he loves him. St. Ambrose is quoted in the Catechism with a great quote. He said there are water and tears, the water of baptism and the tears of repentance. Another Point that the Catechism makes about conversion. It talks about a radical reorientation in paragraphs 1430 and 1431. It says Jesus' primary call is to an, an interior conversion, which gives fruitfulness for the exterior works of penance. So we, it all begins inside us and then goes out into good work. It says interior repentance is a radical reorientation of life, a total turning to God and away from sin, which includes a resolution in us to change one's life. I like this part, Leslie. It says, this conversion entails a certain pain called affliction of spirit and repentance of heart. And I've reflected on that. You know, when God calls us to change, that isn't always easy and is not always painless, right?
2: That's right. Absolutely.
1: So, anyways, uh, the Catechism has a lot to say about that, and it's worth amplifying Paul's conversion through
2: it. Okay, listeners, we're going to take a short break now, and when we return, we're going to share another dimension of Biblical Christianity that we've discovered in the book of Acts. And if you'd like to follow along with us, we'll be diving into Acts chapter 10, where the Holy Spirit details for us the conversion of Cornelius' household and the Gentiles becoming Christians. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood, in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support.
0: Here at Catholic Radio Indy, we've greatly expanded our podcast offerings. Now, right on our website, you can not only hear podcasts of your favorite local shows, but you can also access podcasts of all your favorite EWTN shows. You mean like the Sunrise Morning Show? Yep, and the Mass and Rosary from EWTN
2: too. What about Teresa Tamio and Catholic Connection? Sure. And Women of Grace and Pro-Life Weekly
0: and the EWTN nightly news? Yep,
2: yep, and yep. What about More to Life? The miracle hunter and journey home and the bear Wozniak adventure the what the bear woznik adventure sure what about dr doctor and the doctors in
0: if you hear it on catholic radio indie it's now available as a podcast we can't begin to list all of these shows in this announcement there are too many so check it out for yourself
2: how about cresta in the afternoon father spitzer's universe
0: catholic answers Yep, you'll find them all at catholicradioindy.org under the New and Improved podcast button.
2: Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. In this series, we've been exploring the call to return to biblical Christianity and discovering the characteristics that made the early Christians such a powerful force. Peter, take us now to chapter 10. What do we see when we continue our journey through the Acts of the Apostles?
1: So in Acts chapter 10, the baptism of Cornelius and his household opens for us a new chapter in the history of Christianity. For the first time, Gentiles accept the gospel and become full members of the church. The narrative that we see here, Leslie, stresses that God initiates, he orchestrates, and he approaches this new missionary step. He instructs Cornelius by an angel, in Acts 10.3. He directs Peter by a vision, in Acts 10.10-16. 10, 10 and he pours out the Holy Spirit as a tangible sign of repentance, in Acts 10.28. let see, there's an underlying dynamic going on in this historical chapter. Prayer is undergirding all the action in this transformational period in biblical Christianity. You know, Jesus taught us clearly in the Sermon on the Mount, to go and find a secret place of prayer. He said, There our Heavenly Father, who sees in secret, will reward us. That's in Matthew chapter 6. Prayer is our daily encounter with Jesus Christ, and it tills the ground for ongoing encounter throughout all our days.
2: I really like that phrase, Peter. Prayer is our daily encounter with Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus is our ultimate example of this. It says in Mark 1.35. one thirty-five In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place and there he prayed. So we see that private prayer and public prayer, that's what we do when we're at Mass, right Peter? Exactly. Are the two sides of one coin. And although some may place more value on one than the other, the sacred scripture doesn't do that. It teaches us that both play a critical part in the culture of Biblical Christianity, Mm -hmm. and if we continue to allow the acts of the Apostles, like we're doing right now, Mm to be our teacher, and form the basis of our spirituality, we can discover that both private and public prayer are irreplaceable in our own lives, our family life, and the life of our parishes. And we're learning now that God's plan unfolds because of prayer, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, Leslie. So, There's an interesting, you know I like statistics, I like uh, following Pew Research and Barna, but Pew Research uncovered an interesting statistic, Leslie, that deserves reflection. While only 25% of American Catholics presently attend Mass on a weekly basis, and 60% fall into the range of a few times a year, or seldom and never, Catholics who pray daily are 59% and weekly 20%. In other words, there is a platform of prayer going on among Catholics today. I believe there's a spiritual tinderbox that can ignite itself on the American Catholic terrain, but prayer, how does this praying Catholic Church begin to appear? Well, if we go again to our go-to book right now, Acts, Acts becomes a tutor for us in this vital part of our Catholic spirituality. We find out in Acts one fourteen immediately tells us that after the ascension of Jesus, the disciples gathered in the upper room for one distinct purpose, and that was to devote themselves to prayer. There were many; they were in the company, of course, Mary, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the disciples and other close followers. And it was during this time, through prayer, that Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. And it was here, Leslie, ten days after the ascension. The Holy Spirit fell on the 120, and the church was born. So in the beginning of Acts, we see that public communal prayer formed the milieu in which God moved in a mighty way.
2: It released His plan, right? Yes,
1: exactly. This kind of prayer happens time and time again in this book, and it's no coincidence that the Holy Spirit's activity was in direct response to the petitions and supplications those gathered together. We see this in Acts chapter 10 that we're exploring. In my young days as an evangelical minister an old preacher who was a spiritual mentor to me would often say God doesn't do the work all on his own and neither do we rather we do it together.
2: And that's what we're learning right now in uh, the book of Acts is that God and his believers did it together. So yes, Peter, this is exactly what we're learning, and prayer definitely preceded this historic counter with St. Peter and the household of Cornelius. And we're going to take another break now, and when we return we'll discuss how prayer undergirded the Gentiles before becoming Christians. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood, in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. Anytime you get in the car, turn on the radio, you know that there's
0: going to be something encouraging. The right words come on, and you know that that's a word from God. God is really listening to you. He hears you. Catholic Radio Indy providing 24 hours a day of 100% Catholic programming. We're Catholic Radio Indy. Thank you for your support.
2: Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. Today we're continuing our series, the call to return to uh, rebuild the church here in America through the restoration of biblical Christianity. And we've been learning a lot about the characteristics of the early church. In our last segment, we discussed the historic event in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius and his household are brought into the church with a supernatural visitation of the Holy Spirit, patterned after the same way the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 believers on the day of Pentecost. And this was much to uh, St. Peter's surprise, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, they were shocked.
2: Peter, please share with us now and our listening audience why this event, as well as All the major events and acts seem to be undergirded with private and public prayer, and how this is a key for us to the rebuilding of the American Catholic Church.
1: Yes, Leslie. To the natural mind, it can kind of seem trite, doesn't it? That two people praying could change the history of Christianity and bring about what was prophesied many times in veiled form in the Old Testament that God's covenant would be extended to the Gentiles. But that is what the Holy Spirit points out to us in Acts chapter 10.
2: And most of the time we just focus on the story. We don't focus on the element of prayer that led to this dramatic event.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think it's worth reading the scripture, first of all, about Cornelius and his prayer life, as we read the account in this uh, powerful chapter. It says this, In Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, the centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and here's the point, Leslie, and he prayed constantly to God. And he's a Gentile, and he's, a, and he's not a covenant person at this point, but he prayed constantly to God. It says, one afternoon at about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. Let's see, take note that the Holy Spirit calls him a devout man because he gave alms generously and he prayed constantly to God. That's pretty amazing.
2: And the scripture clearly points it out. Yes. So I'm going to take my turn now and read the scripture about Cornelius. At the same time, servants of Cornelius were headed to Joppa to find St. Peter. And we have this account of what Peter was doing. About noon, the next day, as they were on their journey... And while they were approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. Note what he was doing. He went up to the roof to pray. Once again, there's that reference to prayer. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's profane or unclean. The voice said to him again, a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. And the amazing work of the Holy Spirit, as you can see from the scripture, that brought Gentiles into the kingdom of God through St. Peter, was clearly dependent on the private prayers of both Cornelius and the Apostle.
1: So we're really looking at today, Leslie, that uh, the power of prayer is a two-sided coin, right? we have got on one side the call for us to privately spend time with the Lord, Jesus being our pattern when he would go out privately before dawn and pray to his Father, but then also the emphasis on corporate prayer. In fact, it says throughout Acts at the beginning of the uh, church with these early believers, they would meet both in the temple and also house to house. There was the small uh, dynamics going on as well as the larger dynamics, and this is really true with prayer as well.
2: And you also have some information here from Pope St. John Paul II about prayer as well.
1: Yeah, St. John uh, Paul II spells this two-sided coin out exactly uh, in a writing uh, from Novo Millennio, where he says this, If in the planning that awaits us we commit ourselves more confidently to a pastoral activity that gives personal and communal prayer, personal and communal prayer, its proper place, we shall be observing an essential principle of the Christian view of life, the primacy of grace, but it is fatal to forget that without Christ we can do nothing, he says, quoting John fifteen five. The Pope goes on to say, it is prayer which roots us in this truth. It constantly reminds us of the primacy of Christ and in union with him the primacy of the interior life and of holiness. When this principle is not respected, again, going back to personal and communal prayer, it is a very wonder that pastoral plans come to nothing and leave us with a disheartening sense of frustration. So let's say I really like that because one of the one of the desires of our program is to encourage renewal on three levels, personally, in the family, and also in the parish. And here, Pope St. John Paul is telling us, for parish renewal, there has to be both personal prayer as well as communal prayer.
2: And also, we all know there's quite a bit of information in the Catechism about prayer that supports this as well as um, the scriptures and the Pope.
1: Yeah, in fact, I would even, if, if I could give a reading assignment, I would encourage everybody to take the catechism and read the fourth part that's totally on prayer. You could make it a bedside exercise as you go to bed the next several nights and just look at the foundations of prayer that kind of becomes the launching pad for our prayer life.
2: And when you were reading the Catechism, Peter, you discovered in the fourth section of the Catechism kind of a little nugget, an interesting part that we experienced uh, when we went on our pilgrimage to Italy.
1: Yes, right. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, let me just read what the Catholic Catechism teaches us about pilgrimage in paragraph 2691. Pilgrimage, uh, pilgrimages evoke our earthly journey toward heaven, and are traditionally very special occasions for renewal and prayer. For pilgrims seeking living water, shrines are special places for living the form of Christian prayer and church. Amen. And Peter, uh, we definitely, in our journey, in our pilgrimage to Italy, we be- that definitely followed this, didn't we?
1: Yes, and it was a wonderful time, and I really believe that this ver- that this. Thing in the catechism about the power of pilgrimage is very true.
2: Yes, what we did is we made a little list of people that we wanted to pray for on our pilgrimage, and every single holy site or shrine that we went into, we took time to kneel down and actually pray for these individuals. Two of them were parishioners at our church that were battling cancer at the time, and one was our daughter-in-law and our son who were trying to have a baby and had not been able to get pregnant. And each and every time we prayed for them, we offered up these intentions. And we are so thankful to the Lord that the two individuals with cancer are in remission, and our daughter-in-law and our daughter and our son have two beautiful children.
1: Yeah, amen. Uh, Leslie, let's pray now for our listening audience and for ourselves that God would help us to discover and be renewed in this two-sided coin, personal prayer and communal prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit upon us, individuals, families, and parishes. And Lord, that you would just uh, uh, ignite us for prayer, personal prayer, like Jesus modeled for us when he went out before daylight and talked to his Father, And also communal prayer with our brothers and sisters in our parishes, in our small groups, in our ministries. And Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would just use these prayers to do historical things like you did for Cornelius and his household. In Jesus' name, in the name of the Father, Father, Son, Son, and and Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. amen.
2: Well, we want to thank our audience today for joining us as we seek to connect individuals and parishes to the rebuilding and renewal of the Catholic faith here in America. And if you're interested in learning more about how to discover the secret and the power of prayer, Peter goes into much more depth uh, in today's topic in his book, Encounter Jesus, Transforming Catholic Culture in Crisis, which you can order uh, by searching for it on Amazon.
1: That's right, Leslie. And also, we'd like to say that we, to listen to our past programs go to catholicradioindy.org and press the big blue button at the top left corner of the web page and make sure to become a regular listener of Catholic Radio Indy. Goodbye and, and keep the faith. faith.
0: You've been listening to Go Rebuild My Church with Peter Doan. Podcasts of this program are available at www.catholicradioindy.org.